Samuel Prime recounts his experience of God's grace in his book entitled The Power of Prayer, The New York Revival of 1858. In this book, he tells of God's amazing work of revival in his church there in New York City. As he tells the story, Prime mentions no emotional appeals, no sensational preaching as the means God used to stir revival. It was just a regular prayer meeting. The Christians there would gather each day at noon. They would sing a hymn. Request would be made, and they would pray, and they would end promptly at 1 p.m. There's a steady rhythm throughout this book of prayers made, prayers answered, prayers made, and prayers answered. God had used just these ordinary means in this obscure place among obscure people to break out a revival that wouldn't merely stay in that church, but would spread throughout New York City. As one author once wrote, prayer is an ordinary means to accomplish supernatural ends. Prayer is ordinary. It's an ordinary means. It's it's not extraordinary. It is just an ordinary thing that God has given us To bring about supernatural ends. And friend, this is why, as we'll see in a moment, prayer is essential to the life of God's people. That God's people must commit themselves to prayer so that they would grow spiritually. You see, when we pray, we pray as Jesus taught us, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our desire is to pray the will of God for the people of God. The book of Ephesians contains two grand prayers. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses the prayer here in verse 15 through 23. And then the prayer there in chapter 3 beginning in verse 14 as bookends to this first section of the letter. Prayer was important to the Apostle Paul and his ministry. In fact, he ends the book with a prayer also, or an invitation to pray. There at the end of chapter 6, when uh, Paul talks about the whole armor of God, a very familiar passage, no doubt, to many of us. He ends by asking the congregation to pray for his ministry and the evangelistic efforts that he is employing. In Paul's impressive opening of one sentence that we've spent the the last few weeks looking at, using over 200 words in one single sentence, the apostle was overwhelmed by God's grace and burst out in a song of praise. But from praise, he's now led to pray, to pray that God would work in the lives of these Christians. In this grand picture of blessing that have come to us in Christ, the mystery of the gospel, he now wants this congregation to know God even more than they have known him thus far. And what we're going to consider in the next several weeks is that that Paul here is outlining the work of God among them 
as the Spirit begins to apply His work in their life, demonstrating God's power over sin and centuries of ethnic segregation. God was at work building His church and bringing His people. That God had the power to overcome these things. And and here in verses 15 and following, He gives thanks to God for the work evident in the life of God's people. He moves to pray for them and ask that that God would help them grow. So if we were to sort of have one sermon on this text, we could organize it this way. He prays that they would know God's goodness there in verse 17. That they would know God's grace, verse 18. And finally, he prays that they would know God's greatness, there beginning in verse 19 through 23. His prayer culminates in this reflection on the supremacy of God in Christ, that Jesus is the head of all things, even the church. In short, Paul simply prays for Christians in Ephesus to know God better. And that's our desire. We want to know God better. With all this in mind, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look this morning at verses 15 through 17. Next week, verse 18. And then in three weeks, verses 19 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, fullness of him who fills all in all. As Christians, we continually give thanks to God for His saving work and pray that the Christians around us would grow in their knowledge of God's goodness. I hope to show you this morning that what the Apostle Paul is doing by example is getting our spiritual eyes off ourselves and on to those around us. That if the church is truly to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the individual members of that church have to see that there are other Christians around them and to invest in their life through prayer. And so really the purpose of our time is to encourage us to see God's work among us to offer the right response of thanksgiving and prayer. And so this morning, we're going to consider three responses to God's work. 
So if, if verse 3 through 14 was talking about what God has done among us in saving us, electing a people for his own possession and working out that, um, that redemption in time and space, then the prayer that Paul offers is a response to what God is doing among us. He's responding in three ways. First, we respond to God's redemptive work by acknowledging His work in others. By acknowledging that God is at work in the lives of those around us. That's what Paul does. He says, hey, I've heard about your faith and your love. You have a reputation about you. And he acknowledges that. And then secondly... There in verse 16, the Apostle Paul gave thanks to God for the work. And so as Christians, we ought to give thanks to God, not merely for the work that he's doing in our lives, but the work that he's doing in the lives of others. Paul gave thanks for the spiritual evidence that was showing up in the lives of these early Christians. And then thirdly, we'll consider in verse 17, that we ought to pray for the spiritual growth of others, for the spiritual growth of others. Our prayer life should be filled with prayer for others, and particularly for their spiritual growth. So let's look at these three this morning in our time together. Number one, we ought to acknowledge God's redemptive work in other members, in other members. Paul begins by saying, for this reason, This phrase points back to what he just thought about, points back to what God has done. As he reflects on what God has done in Christ, he looks forward to what God is doing in the church in Ephesus. As he does, he bursts out in praise and prayer. What we know is true of the gospel has become evident in the life of God's people. Just as we thought about last week, um, we know when the Spirit has been around because there's fruit that the Spirit begins to, you know, develop in our life. We can see that the Spirit is indwelling someone because things like hope and love and grace and compassion, they begin to show up in their life and and, and we attribute, that's the Spirit. Well, in the same way, what Paul is doing is, is just acknowledging in the life of the church in Ephesus, hey, I see evidence that God is working in you. Well, look here at this passage. He gives us really two pieces of evidence, two pieces of fruit uh, that is evident in the life of the regenerate. Those who have been born again will produce these two things in their life. Look Look with me at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith and your love, You see, the first evidence of God's redemptive work in our life is that we have faith. Faith is the first gift that God gives when he regenerates. The ability to believe comes after the Spirit's work of regeneration. He says similarly to the church in Colossae, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. This church had a reputation that had made its way back to Paul, that they were people of faith, that they had trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here, the object of their faith is the Lord and the finished work of Christ. 
But not only did they have faith, look again, he, they had love. I've, I've heard about your love toward all the saints. Toward all the saints. And of course, this is not new to us as Christians. This is what Jesus taught his disciples. That a new commandment I give to you, that you're to love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. It is our love that evidences God's work in our life. And so these two things showed up in these early Christians' life, and Paul acknowledges it. He says, oh, friend, I see it. I see God at work. He's encouraging them to press on. Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, this text teaches us so clearly that one cannot have faith and love apart from the Spirit's work in our lives. The measure of one's salvation is in the proportion of faith and love. If they're not there, then you cannot offer assurance of salvation. If one does not have faith in Christ and love, you know, we are often quick to notice when someone loses weight, gets a haircut, maybe has a new tattoo, or changes something about their appearance. We, we notice that our eyes have been trained to spot differences, right? So, wow, something, something's changed in you. But you know, we're so slow to acknowledge spiritual work in the lives of others. Primarily because our spiritual eyes haven't been trained to spot these things. Now, now think about this for me, just, just for a moment. How would this report have gotten to Paul in prison if he hadn't taught the early Christians there in Ephesus to look for these things? It's, it's not that they just intuitively said, hey, they're kind of, they've got a lot of faith and love going on in their life, and, and Paul, we just wanted to tell you about it. No, you see, Paul had taught them that these things are the evidences you should look for and acknowledge in the lives of others. To notice it and report on it. And friend, what are you looking for in other members? What are you looking for in them? Do you acknowledge the grace of God in the lives of those around you? Do you even, do you even notice when someone is growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you so focused on your own problems that you don't take an occasion to look at the lives of others? See, as Christians, what we ought to do is regularly observe and see how God is at work among us. To take time and recognize and acknowledge the spiritual fruit in others. And we immediately begin to kind of, oh, we shouldn't be doing that. It's going to lead to pride. It's going to lead to a whole host of other issues. Friend, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. no more than this inspired text led to those things in the church in Ephesus. Now, the Apostle Paul took time out of his life to write them a letter and especially include to the church, I'm hearing about your love. I'm hearing about your faith. We're so often inwardly focused and not take the time to do that. Friend, don't merely notice the fruit, but acknowledge it with your mouth. When's the last time you said to a fellow brother or sister that you're proud of them? That you know that walking in faith costs you maybe your family, friends, coworkers, relationships? 
perhaps even just offer a word of encouragement that you notice that they're nicer, more loving. Their prayers have grown deeper. Their thoughts greater. It seems as if they've been spending time with Jesus. Let us look with our spiritual eyes and see how God is at work among us. And this also, I think, is implicitly a reminder as, as a congregation that the evidence of genuine salvation is faith and love. So when we take in new members, we're, we're not merely looking for them to give us a credible profession of faith, you know, check all the boxes theologically. You know, someone can know the gospel but not be changed by it. And so what we're looking for, the, the, the fruit that we're looking is faith and love. Do they, do they have a trust in the Lord Jesus and is there evident love in their life? If there's not, we don't want to, to offer them any assurance of salvation. We don't want to confuse them. We want to encourage them. And so, as Christians, we want to demonstrate the rule of Christ in our life through these two things. Notice here also what the Apostle Paul says. He says that they had love for all the saints. Now, we've said this before, and we'll, we'll use this again. The word all means all. It means all without discrimination. Now, you think of the context of this. These are these are non-Jews, these are Gentiles. They've grown up in a world where only the Jews had access to God's grace. There's been this ethnic divide which God has now united in Christ. There, there's this dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And they're now one body in Christ. This is what Paul will take up in chapter 2. And notice that they love even those who once didn't love them. They had a love for all the saints. Friend, can that be said of you? Do you love all the members of First Baptist Avon Park? Or are there some that drive you crazy? Right? Of course, there are some that are more difficult to love, isn't there? It's true. Maybe you're that person that's difficult to love. But friend, we have to wrestle with this. We, we can't just conclude, well, that's how they are, and just continue withholding our love. Friend, what is your reputation? If we were to turn up into your workplace, into your home, if I were to come over to your house and go back in your backyard and get a hold of your neighbor, what would they say about you? your wife, your husband, your children? Are you known for love? Are you, are you known for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that, is that all you talk about and think about? Like, man, he just can't stop about this Jesus business. All he talks about is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And all he keeps doing is really nice things for me. I get aggravated by it. And what a wonderful reputation that we ought to aspire to as a church. That as, as the word gets out about us at First Baptist, oh, those people over there, yeah, they're a little crazy. They sing some really weird hymns, but boy, do they have some faith 
in the Lord Jesus. Boy, they love like, like nothing we've ever seen before. Yeah, they're weird, but man, do they love Jesus and love others. Let, let us acknowledge the evidence of God's grace in our life. And then secondly, as we see as Paul goes on, let us give thanks. Now, this is a causal idea here. He says, because I've heard of God's work in your life, I, j- I give thanks to God because of it. So he, he's, he's got his spiritual eyes on, he can see, and he's getting these reports being fed in. And, and, and what is his response? Man, I'm an awesome pastor. Man, I taught them well. Oh, they've got good Sunday school teachers. They've got good elders. All of those things are, are true. But no, no, no. He attributes all of the fruit to God. He acknowledges that God is the one who is at work in them. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The Apostle Paul here in this text is compelled to give thanks as he observes the fruit in their life. He, he's compelled. He, he, he can't help himself. It just, it's, a, it's a reaction to God's work. And therefore, he says it's continual. He's compelled Lay's Potato Chips, a number of years ago, had a marketing campaign. And the slogan was, I bet you can't have just one. And I know maybe that's been your experience with Lay's Potato Chips, right? you just eating them, and then you, then you look down after a few minutes, and you ate the whole bag. Right? Friend, that ought to be us when we react to the grace of God in the lives of others. That we, we, we just can't have enough of what God is doing and we just continually give thanks to him. It's a sort of ongoing, it's perpetual giving thanks to God in our life. That our, our instinct is not to turn inwardly and pat ourselves on the back, but to, to, to attribute the work of God in our life, to be encouraged that God is at work. That's why the Apostle Paul says that he, he doesn't cease now, this doesn't mean that, you know, he was weird and that all he did is walk through life giving thanks and praying. No, he wasn't strange, right? But that he had a planned prayer life. He had a planned prayer life. In other words, he had a time where he would stop and reflect on what he had seen or heard about these early saints, Friend, that's a great way for you and I to cultivate this type of thanksgiving is by planning it, by sitting there and, and saying, you know, all right, where have I seen the evidence of God's grace in my, in my Sunday school class, among my friends here at this church, among, among those I'm acquainted with? Where, where have I seen it across the aisle in people I really don't know? I've just, I've just noticed, I, I really don't know that brother, but, but God is clearly at work. You see, we give thanks for what we value. We thank God for what we treasure. So what does it reveal about us when we don't give thanks when a brother or sister is growing in Christ? Perhaps it's because we're jealous of them. We wish that we were growing, but we're not, and they are, and and so we're, we're mad. We're bitter. See, we must learn to be thankful. We must learn to see that this is God at work. To demonstrate genuine concern and a prayer life that is consistent 
and constant in remembering one another. Friends, we don't you know, waste time and energy and effort to produce this members directory for fun. We do it so that you would pray for one another. Surely we could distribute these names and, and phone numbers and emails in, in a variety of ways. We've chosen this physical form to stick in your Bible. We've even got a little prayer guide in there, prayers that you can pray. Let me just commend you having this as a regular part of your life. Uh, when you have your devotional times in the morning, uh, set aside just a couple more minutes and pull this out and pray through the names on that page. I, I guarantee you, you will have spiritual eyes that will begin to develop and you'll begin to see things you never saw before. You'll say, wow, God is at work among us. We ought to cultivate these things for the glory of God in Christ. Friend, I wonder, are you merely a complainer? Do you only notice problems in others and never see their strengths? You see, we won't give thanks for someone who we see as a problem. As Christians, we must forsake these sinful ways and learn to give thanks for others in their life. Do you, do you see problems in others and just throw them away? You know, they're, they're, they're not a very good dad, and so you don't have time for them, or, or, or they're, they don't read their Bible, and so you're like, you know, I only need to hang around people who read their Bible. Rather than saying, hey, how can I help him be a better dad? How can I help her read her Bible? How can I help? You see, when you are involved, it allows you to see God's work in the lives of others. You can't be thankful for something you don't know. And I think this is an implicit point. Again, how did he know? He knew because they lived in such a way among one another that they could see the fruit in others' lives. Friend, if, if the only time you interact with the members of this church is on Sunday mornings at 1045, you will never be able to see the spiritual fruit in others. This implies that you are in each other's homes throughout the week, that you're asking each other hard questions. Hey, how are you doing loving your wife? Well, actually, I'm struggling right now. Or how are you doing reading your Bible? Oh, actually, I, 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 don't, I haven't read it all this week. I, I've had so many things going on. Will you pray for me and hold me accountable to that? There's a whole host of things that you could do. Uh, to help cultivate deeper relationships that then would cultivate this thanksgiving in the life of God's people. So we ought to acknowledge God's work among us. We, we give thanks that God is the source of that. And then thirdly, and closely related, is that we ought to pray for the spiritual growth of others. So if giving thanks is acknowledging to God that he's at work, prayer is asking God for more. Like, I want more of that, not only in my life, but in all of your lives together. Look what he does there in verse 17. Remembering you in all my prayers, that, and here's the content of his prayer. Here he's launching into his prayer. What's, what's the Apostle Paul pray? What's on his prayer list? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, oh, give you what? Give me what? I mean, a new car, more money, better health, better looks. No, none of those. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
Paul prays that they would know God better. He prays that the Spirit would reveal himself more. Now remember, they've been sealed by the Spirit. They've been marked off by the Spirit. The Spirit is a guarantee, that down posit, that, that deposit, that down payment on their inheritance. But the Spirit is still filling them more and more and indwelling them. He's taking over little by little ownership in the life of these saints through a growth in knowledge. As Paul launches into prayer for these saints, saints, he dedicates his attention to the glorious Father who supplies his people's needs. Notice how he describes God here. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these answers to prayer are mediated through the work of Jesus. The Apostle Paul has a close connection between the Father and the Son and the work. But notice also the Spirit. Notice then how he appositionally restates this God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory or the glorious Father, demonstrating God's power and might, his sovereignty over his people. We affirmed that aspect of this text in a couple songs we sang earlier, affirming that prayer and the sovereignty of God go hand in hand. In other words, friend, if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, don't pray. Don't pray. Because only a sovereign God can answer prayer. Only a God who's in control of all things can do anything that we ask or think. Right? Now our God is glorious and he's in control. And so we cry out to him that he would work. The glorious father. The one from whom every family in heaven and on earth has been named. He'll say later in verse 15 of chapter 3. Notice here also the, this work of the Spirit, the, the content of his prayer. He prays for the work of the Holy Spirit to, to show up. He, he, I, I want God to give you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. In other words, it, it's a fanciful way of just simply saying, I want the Holy Spirit to show up in your life. I want the Spirit to reveal himself in your life, not through esoteric, um, sensational ways, like speaking in tongues, but rather through the spiritual fruit that he will give in your life. You see, as Christians, we have to ask God for these things. God, let your spirit work in my life. Let me see more and more fruit in my life. But, but more than that, he's not praying merely for himself. He's praying this for these Christians. Praying that they would have a greater knowledge of him and a greater understanding of God's work. Again, friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, this passage makes explicitly clear that one cannot know God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, He reveals the Father to sinners. You cannot know God apart from Him. The Bible is explicitly clear that the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes to see. Friend, that's why the one who invited you here this morning or the, the Christians in your life have been praying for you, praying that you would know the gospel, that you would repent and trust in Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Because it is the Spirit that must show up in order for your, your spiritual soul to come alive. That your eyes would be open to God. And, and friend, that's why we pray for evangelism and conversion. Because apart from God's converting work, is useless. Brother, sister, what are you praying for? What, what makes it on your prayer list? If we were to take a survey and count the prayer request that you give, sadly, so often, we only pray for, for physical needs. There's nothing wrong with praying for physical needs. Of course, the Bible invites us to pray for physical need. We, we should pray for the health of others. But remember, our outer body is wasting away. Our, our, our bodies are, are not meant to last forever. These things will one day die. They will wear out and they will go in a grave. But the Apostle Paul says that though our outer body is wasting away, our inner body is being renewed day by day. You see, it's your spirit, your soul that is eternal. Therefore, we ought to invest in it. We ought to cultivate it. We ought to, we ought to see it grow. What did these early Christians pray for? Well, Paul here leads them to pray for spiritual needs. To pray for spiritual growth. Are your prayers more consumed with physical needs or spiritual needs? What are you more inclined to thank God for? A sick person made well? Nothing wrong with that. But what if that sick person who's now well still doesn't know God? They're no better off. To merely pray for physical needs and never pray for spiritual is not a sign of maturity, but immaturity. It's a sign, it's a sign that our hope is tied more to the here and now than the by and by. Friend, we are a spiritual people, and we ought to pray for spiritual matters. This is why Paul will write to this church at the end that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. We are in a cosmic spiritual battle that our physical eyes cannot even see. And thus, we ought then to pray for spiritual matters, to pray that we would know God better. I love how John Stott put it. He says this, knowledge is the ladder by which faith climbs higher. Knowledge, greater knowledge of God, increases our faith, he writes. The more you know God, the greater your faith in Him will be. Or as John Calvin put it, whatever may be the height of our attainment, let them always be accompanied by the desire of something higher. In other words, we ought never to think we've arrived spiritually. Now, every year, every month, every day offers us an opportunity to grow in our knowledge of God. Have you grown in the last month in your knowledge of God? You see, prayer must be a central part of our life. We must learn to pray for one another. We must see the spiritual needs in the lives of others and recognize that apart from God, we can do nothing. 
An implication of this is that Christians grow. Christians grow. They grow in the knowledge of God. We grow through knowing Him better. Isn't that a wonderful desire to know God? We use that word a lot. Oh, I know so and so. Not really. We know of them. You know, you, you might say, I know the governor. Right? Oh, really? Well, you, you might know some things about him. You might know where he was born or you know, where he went to school, what he did before he got into politics. But you don't really know Governor DeSantis. You, you just know about him. You know, one time I had the opportunity to meet then Vice President Joe Biden. Shook his hand, had a conversation with him. I don't know him. And I surely wouldn't go around telling people I know him. And he doesn't know me. And clearly, he doesn't know a lot of things. Maybe even what year it is. Our desire is to know God better. To have a, a deeper relationship with Him. He knows us intimately. And our desire is to know Him in the same way. To grow in our knowledge of God. What a prayer request. What a big ask of God. God, I want to know you better and I want this congregation to know you better. Because the more they know you, the more they're going to grow in faith and love and hope. I want to know you better. Let me just commend one little book that you could read. Uh, J.I. Packer's Knowing God. It is a classic on this topic. J.I. Packer, Knowing God. Uh, it will, I hope, spark in you a desire to grow. You know, I'm reminded of something that Charles Spurgeon once said. Spurgeon, after preaching one day, he was on his way home, long travel a bit sometimes, and, and, he, and he wrote this, I go back to my home many a time, mourning that I cannot preach my master, even as I myself know him. And what I know of him is very little compared with the matchlessness of his grace. Would that I know him more and that I could tell it out better. You know, Spurgeon was the, the greatest English preacher who this world has ever known. And he felt like he did not know God. But let that be our desire as his people. To have this sort of... I, 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 I bet you can't just take one of the potato chips. I, I bet if you truly experience the knowledge of God, it, you, it, it gives you an insatiable desire to continue to do that. Paul prayed that the church would grow in a deeper knowledge of God in their lives, and we ought to pray that for one another. That's my prayer for you and our prayer together corporately. That we would continue to grow in our knowledge of God by praying that God the Father through the Son would give us the ability through His Spirit to grasp His eternal power and the rich gifts that are ours in Christ. May we give ourselves to such lofty prayers in the name of Christ. John Stott was traveling in the countryside there in England. He was a pastor in England his entire life, and on one holiday, vacation, he visited another church, and he turned up into that church, and sat there in the pew. 
he notes that the preacher was absent that day, and there was another filling in, and, and so he looked past some of the, you know, awkwardness that was going on in the service. But as he listened and observed the prayers of the congregation, he concluded this about them, that they were a village people praying to a village God, for they prayed little prayers. Brothers and sisters, let that not be said about us. Let us ask God big things. Let us pray big prayers in faith that God will answer them for His glory. Let us pray the prayers of Scripture. Calvin writes of prayer that prayer is the chief exercise of faith by which we daily receive God's benefits. Friend, may we daily, individually and corporately, cry out to this God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Let's pray. Oh God, may you open our spiritual eyes to appreciate and appropriate your greatness and glory in our life together. Oh Father, give us spiritual eyes to see the evidence of your work in the lives of others. Give us lips that continually offer thanksgiving to you through prayer, asking that you would bear fruit in our life for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.